Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, we sit down with the Director of Ideation for Doorman Products, Lester Kovacs. Now, this episode could have gone several different ways. Lucas and I could have spent the entire episode slamming Dorman, but that would have been unfair to Dorman, who did show up for the conversation in good faith. We could have also spent the entire episode pandering to them, and no, they don't sponsor the podcast. We're holding that spot out for Popeye's Chicken, but I think that would have made for a pretty uninteresting conversation. And for what it's worth, I think we took the middle ground. But before we get started, please take a moment to hit the like button if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you like this content, consider subscribing to the channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure you set to automatically download the latest episode so you never miss an upload. And now, here we go. Lester, just so you know, I want to make it really clear. David is a bit of a diva. He complains about everything. Um, so Does just that make beware. you a diva complaining or does this make you a complaint? Oh, no, that's just one part of it. We're not going to talk about all the other reasons you're a diva, okay? <laughs> and yes, this is the podcast. I know we make it sound like it's all super professional and stuff, but really, if you want to know the truth of it, it's not. Um, David edits out 90% of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> 90% is accurate. <laughs> um, you guys have, have you guys formally met yet? You formally met, haven't you? We, we have not formally met. I think you both met Rob Nice. And then on the call, um, I only met you through that call that Rob Nice has set yeah. up. He'd met you at some, at one of the events. I can't remember which one it was, Lucas. Very cool. Yeah, that was actually at ETI Tooltech. Um, and, and Rob had some really cool information and came out. We started talking and, and, you know, um, I'm not going to lie, dude from Dorman walks up and starts talking and you're like, hold up. 
<laughs> I don't say that in a mean way. I'm just saying Dorman has a reputation, but I hear you're fixing it, right? Is that what's up? We're, I mean, it's, I've, I've been here for quite some time and I, I feel like I've, we've partnered with um, a lot of good technicians that have given us a chance. And I feel like when given the chance and we get the feedback, we, we do our best to, to address issues. Right. Um, so overall, I, I feel like, um, the, the quality control from when I started here to where it is now is, is far and away better than when we, uh, when we initially started working on or developing OE solution parts, parts that were previously only available at the dealer. Um, and with that said, a lot of the parts we're doing now are also a lot more and more complex. I mean, we're writing our own software on some of these modules. So right. even though we've grown from an, from a standpoint of, from a quality standpoint, but there, there's obviously a, a long way to go, but we, we definitely are, are, are heading in the right direction. And, you know, whatever, whatever influence you may have or contacts, you know, I, I, I always reach out and try to expand my sphere of influence. And that sphere is, Hey, look, if you have a challenge or a problem with a part, um, you know, don't just throw it out or, or sometimes return it without any information, you know, reach out to us and let us know. Cause a lot of times we'll even pay for the defect credit to get the failed part back. Cause it's very challenging to get failed parts back through our customer distribution system. Really? You know, it is, it is. And, and, and even when we do, well, he, here's why, but part of it is a failure on our part that we're trying to make a change. We have quite a few customers that do, um, a, a defect credit based on their sales volume. So, as an example, they'll just scrap defective parts. Right. So that's one challenge. Um, the second challenge is when we do get the parts back, there's no story behind it. So it's, it's really tough to isolate or figure out wh where we should even go and then what the problem is. So we rely heavily on our own defect rates of what comes in from the customer that we get that we can see and, and quantify to put on there. So what happens a lot of times is we'll hear a lot of noise around the part. We won't have the, the rest of the story or the pieces, so there's nothing for us to do. Um, in some cases, though, we will when we hear a lot of noise, when it reaches a certain threshold from a percentage, 3%, 4% um, defect return. Then what we do from that point is we will, is we will pull four, five, six, seven, or eight samples and, and do some tests, definitely materially, definitely dimensionally. And then, again, depending on the noise and what we find from the first checks, then it'll even go onto tr a, uh, a vehicle trial. Um, well, so that's really interesting to me because it, it reminds me of a situation and not, not with your company, but a situation years ago, I had an ICP sensor and the vehicle would get to operating temperature and it would stall. Right. Mm -hmm. And I continually said over and over again, I can see it's the sensor. I can promise you I have five volt. I have ground. I have a signal. And when it gets hot, it pulls down my VREF and my ICP goes down. I can unplug it and I get VREF back and I can manually control my signal, right? In other words, I can force it to five volts and I can force it to zero volts. So I know it's the sensor. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The sensor's shorting the ground. Here's the scope captures. I don't know what more you could want from me. And they're like, listen, we don't know what any of that means. And I said, well, Okay, I'm trying to tell you what that means. I'm trying to explain the part is bad. And they said, look, after three of them, there's no way it's bad. I said, mm. No, 
I'm telling you it's bad. I can go get a different sensor. I can go get a Ford sensor and put in the truck and it doesn't do it anymore. And they said, that's great, but that doesn't mean anything to us. After three, it's your fault. It's not the part. Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account, and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, no. You you know, so it seems like there's a disconnect between the parts company and, and, you know, it's interesting because David actually has a really strong parts store background, right? He's not just a shop owner. Dude's pretty smart when it comes to the way part stores operate. David, what say you? About what? <laughs> God, you're awful. We said we put, we'd put it in the tote and send it back. I don't know what happens to it when it gets to the DC. You assume it's going to get back to the manufacturer, but you know, and half the time the, the vendors would come around and you'd go, Hey, I can't sell your line of whatever. Uh, way back when I've told the story before, I think. It was, uh, it was window regulators last or for doorman mm-hmm. and specifically that 96 to 2000 minivan. And, you know, this was a while ago, obviously. Right. So <laughs> we're selling these, these window regulators and they're just, they're blowing up. Uh, the, um, I don't know what chassis it is like Buick Regals, um, the LeSabre, uh, Impala, that, that, that body style at GM, um, same situation. We're sending regulators. You had to stock four or five of them because you knew most of them would come back and they would last three or four or five months. And then you'd get the call and you'd send another one out and then maybe another one a few weeks later. And the shops were like, what's going on with these things? But to Dorman's credit, they, they said, Hey, we found our problem, you know, and they, they put this, like this big press release out and they were going around to the stores and they were announcing what they were doing and like, Hey, we're rolling these things up, you know, a bajillion times. And, and we know that they're not failing. You know, we've fixed the roller issue, the cable issue, this, that, and the other, and you stopped having issues with them. I mean, they made a concerted effort to, to fix the window rigs. But you don't always see that with most of the lines. 
and, and not, not to pick on dormant, but I'm talking about any of the, the vendors. There's like four or five huge vendors that sell most of the parts in these parts stores. I mean, you know, most of your electronic components for ignition components, uh, you know, brake components, even there, there's just a few vendors and everybody private labels them or whatever. If there was a high failure rate in something, I mean, at the store level, you just sold something else or you would, you would steer the, the shop away from it. You'd say, Hey, you don't, you don't want to buy this. You just wouldn't sell it. And you know, it just wouldn't get out there because you didn't want to hear it from the shop. And the, the shops would lose confidence. And half the time, these shops don't realize. They're just like, oh, I'm just going to buy from the other parts store. I used to get that. And you're like, hey, the parts that other parts store, I know it's in a Napa box, but it's the same thing I'm selling. There's no difference. It's the exact yeah. same vendor. The exact same manufacturer. It's the same part in the box. It's just a different you know label on it. You know, these parts stores, or the, uh, the shop, some of the shops, just didn't, they didn't know. They just thought it's switching. And the, the ones that you'd look at a little cross-eyed at is the ones that would say, well, ever since I switched to so-and-so, I haven't had any issues. It's like, dude, it's the same stuff. What are you doing differently? <laughs> but, you know, I'd, you don't always see the vendors going out there and, and I don't know, talking to the end user and, and finding out what the challenges are from our end. Does that make sense? No, it, it it does totally, and it, it's it's funny you bring up the the window regulator story, and I'm I'm happy that it that it did get to you regarding um, the message was sent because there are still technicians out there that won't use a regulator because quite honestly we 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 um, had a lot of issues in, in the beginning um, that need to be addressed. So that's that's comforting to know that, but we're 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 definitely taking the same approach on regs for everything, but regs were easy to fix. And what I mean by that is there was such a problem. We got so many failed parts back. Um, and then we, and then we developed a strategy, right? There's over 2,500 SKUs. We developed our own homegrown lab of used salvage doors where, like you said, we tested it a bajillion times up and down to make sure, um, that they would meet the requirements of, of, of the end user and the technician and almost, you know, instantaneously instantaneously when the new inventory started coming in it was um it was a night and day difference and what i like to say is you know we we take that approach across um any any of the products where we can definitively say like the example you gave lucas i'm not going to say that there's you know that there's not a bad apple here that would say well if you tried three of them it can't be the part to me i i would say the other way like look you've tried three of them let's get one of the failed parts back and send you out an oe um, just because you tried so many to figure out what the heck's going on. We don't mind eating some crow if we are wrong, if it is something right. else. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, a, a technician that says they've checked the five volt reference, you know, they're knowledgeable. We should always listen to them. We've gotten better at that, but I'm sure we've had some techs here in the past that probably may have made, may have given that same message, you know, um, training's really important. Um, and also, so is the, you know, that insight of not getting defensive when somebody bashes your product and, and kind of understanding where they're coming from. I mean, for an automotive company to tell you that their ICP sensor, they didn't know what a five volt reference meant. They probably should have had somebody on standby to help them right. out, help them out technically to get, to, to get that feedback. Well, and, and, you know, I think that's so much of what we see is, is that a, nobody ever calls to to try and rectify that problem. 
right? And I think we get so fast paced in the shop and we've just got to go, go, go. The technician throws it in a box and says, this doesn't work, right? And then, you know, it gets sent back. The service advisor, he's slammed too. So he just makes a claim and sends it back to the parts store. And that's the extent of it, right? Nobody ever truly goes through and follows up and calls the helpline and says, hey, listen, I've had three problems with this part and here's what I see. Here's what's going on, right? Nobody ever takes the time to do that. Now, I think that's what it takes to improve the part quality outside of the OE. Um, and, and you know, I, I think that that especially right now where we're dealing with OEs where it's really hard to get parts, there's definitely got to be a source for parts outside of the OE because we can't wholly depend on them, right? Um, no, the stuff in stock half the time. Do what? They don't have the stuff in stock. I know. The right? OEs. Yeah. You, even if you wanted the all, all OE parts, like you're not getting your hands on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, like you, you, I can call my dealers and they're like, you think we have brake pads and rotors from the manufacturer here? (laughs) Sorry. We don't, we get those from advance. We get those from (laughs) Napa. (laughs) Exactly. Listen, we, we, we got the same problem you do. That's where we're, but it's not even, it's not even like, I'm not even talking about brake parts. I mean, no, I know know. they, they hold stuff back for themselves. Right, we we ran into this with an intake manifold on a five O Ford. They were having problems with them, and so they were going through them pretty quick. And you know, COVID hit and all that stuff, and they didn't have any. They had some in stock. They just weren't releasing them to the independent repair shops. They were yeah. holding them back for their own customers. Some of them were selling them on eBay, and because <laughs> for a premium. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is this is a stupid part. They were going to sell it to me at a higher price than what you would pay for at on eBay. And you can see where it's going. I mean, you can see that or, or where it's coming from. You can see the vendor. Like it, it gives you the name of the dealer. And so you call the dealer and say, Hey, this is in stock because you guys are showing it in stock. If I order it through eBay, can I just come down and pick it up? Oh no. Our eBay department and our regular parts department, they're not connected this, that, and the other. And they just give you some BS. So I said, fine, okay, whatever. I still ordered the part. They canceled the part on me. <laughs> oh, that's all. Because they saw who it was going to. And, and they said, oh, we can't we can't release that, so this part to you. We, we need it. It's been promised to a customer. No, it hasn't. So, I mean, even they, they'll stock high failure parts because they're, they're doing warranty work. And it's just whatever moves, which I get. So sometimes you get this other part that comes in that m- maybe is a is, is a lower pop code, and it would sit at a part store because the vehicle's older. It's outside of the dealer sort of you know network. It might sit at the part store. The dealer's not going to have it. It'll show up at your shop, and then what? Are you having to wait three to five days to get that part in, or you just call the local part store and get it today? So Correct. we can't relying solely on always not going to work. No, I don't think you can do it if you try. No. And so, you know, Lester, you said something really interesting to me when, when we first met and you were talking about the fact that you have so many different components, right? You were talking about how many you actually have. Share a little bit of that thought process that you were sharing with me when we were talking about that, because we were talking about quality. And talking about there's definitely been some quality control issues, right? 
And and I think that's the thing that we really wanted to make sure we covered because there's so many people who talk about dormant and it's like, it's kind of become a, a common theme, right? Some of it is probably not deserved. It's just because technicians on internet forums talk about, or, or Facebook groups talk about dormant, right? It's a poor quality part and it's, it's just the name they have. So everybody gets on that bandwagon and bashes it or what is it? BWD broken when delivered. Um, <laughs> you know, so talk a little bit about that because you brought up some really interesting facts about how many heard that one. <laughs> Jeff Compton said it the other day. Um, talk a little bit about how many different parts you have and how that plays into this, because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I definitely don't want it to come off as an excuse. Um, but the, but the reality is I, I think we have a very unique business model. I mean, there's, I, I respect all of our competitors, uh, SMP Wells, BWD, Cardone, there are, you know, there, there, there's a lot of great competitors out there and we're all in this, you know, trying to supply parts to technicians. But I think what really differentiates us, I mean, there's no one close to our portfolio. I mean, you're talking 200 different part categories. Um, for, forget about SKUs. I mean, you're, you're up in the, if you take private label out, I mean, you're up at 70, 80, 90,000 SKUs. Um, so when, you, when you're looking at the engineering capabilities you need, the supply chain capabilities, and then just even from a quality control standpoint, you have something from a, from a key fob case cover that can really help your customer out instead of replacing a whole key fob all the way up to a transmission control module for, for a 60 GM, um, transmission module that that at one point we, we would offer a actual software swap tool so there there's a lot that goes in into the development um of, of those products so again i'm not making excuses up but when you look at all the things that goes go into quality control there's some there's million dollar or sorry million billion dollar companies out there or half billion that have three or four part categories in the automotive aftermarket so that that really is is a continual challenge for us but it, but it's also a big we believe is one of our big benefits that we offer to the end users. If you think about it, we're, we're very agnostic on parts. There isn't anything, you know, I'm not knocking a, a Wix, but when you think of Wix, you, you, you think of filters are, they're, they're a fantastic company. Um, you know, there's been a lot of acquisitions, man, humble and all that, but that's what their product manager focuses on. What's really cool. It's in our culture, whether you're on a sales team or a product team, we always, we always leave the customers, um, whether it's the technician, if we're doing a call or a WD or a jobber and ask the question, you know, what can do Dorman do better? And followed up after that question, you know, and, and that has to do with anything, whether it's supply chain, marketing, pricing, quality. And the second question is, you know, what are you going back to the dealer for? If it's a direct customer, we say, you know, what, what do you have to say no for? And because of our business model, where we're, where we're contract, where we're manufacturing light. We do own manufacturing now, but we're not heavy in manufacturing. We're able to pivot and basically focus on any part that's in demand um, by automotive technicians that was previously, or that, that was, that is dealer only at the time. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I, I've been with Dorman for a long time. I'm, I'm really proud of that, but it definitely has its, has its challenges around quality. And then going back to your window regulator story, you know, you could have 190 but those categories are very high quality. And then you have that one that really, you know, we, we missed the mark on for whatever reason. You know, we, we copy the OE design. We don't totally understand the failure point. And then boom, here it is. Six months later, we have a huge problem with it and we're, and we're, and we're doing our best to address it. But then that technician takes that and spreads it across all the different 
um, categories we have. So that's why it's really important for our team to make sure that we know that we, we do want to know when that customer has a problem with an, with an ICP or, or whatever the part is. So we get the part back, you know, analyze it and then get it corrected as soon as possible. You know, with the tech line, the first thing I say is that we have to get that customer, you know, once we validate there's an issue with the part um, as best we can, we have to get that customer fixed first. But just as important is they have to close the loop on, well, what are we going to do about future parts that are sitting on the shelf today? What, what's the issue? Is it, was it an anomaly? Was there a date code issue with, with the manufacturer, the manufacturing process? Um, what are we going to do to close the loop to make sure that another customer doesn't have that same problem again? Right. Well, and, and you know, it seems like there's been a little bit of a shift, right? So I, I was talking to my friend Tanner a while back and, and we were talking about a Dorman component and he said, man, he said, I, I honestly think Dorman's trying to listen. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, I really think things have changed with them. He said, you know, there's this Facebook group and, and it seems like people at Dorman are actually trying to get feedback and communicate with us as professionals. He said, I don't think that's ever happened like it has. So it seems like something's changed. Is that something that you saw internally that changed or is this something that's been there all along? Um, so it's, so I believe it's been there all along, but the change was that group that Tanner was invited to. Um, and I think people that get, we have over 500 members now, I'm really excited about it. And whoever wants to, wants to join it is, is more than welcome. It, it's a private group. And I think it's, it's allowed people like Eric, um, uh, at South Maine to actually reach out to me now. Um, and, and others that, that didn't believe that we were going to put, you know, uh, you know, basically put the money where our mouth is and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do and fix it. So it's about 500 right. or so different members. And we actively go out there and say, look, although our main goal is to uncover new ideas. You can't separate the quality component from that. So what I've always told leadership here and everything else, sometimes we would get feedback and say, man, Lester, you guys got to, you know, your main goal is to find ideas. And what I tell them is you can't and can't separate addressing quality and pull through from ideation. So what I mean by that, the two biggest concerns we get when we visit shops are, hey, they remember a challenge you had with our part or, hey, your part's not available yet in my area or network, you know, it's great when I see these cool new things you come out with, but I can't get my hands on all of them. So we have to act as advocates out there in the field to help on both those fronts um, to really get the buy-in from, from ideation. So where I'm going with this is if you're on that, if you're on that channel, we openly throw all those offers out there. When somebody comes on there, you know, we, we have the trolls and we actually like the trolls that are on our forum because they keep us honest and, and we never kick any, anybody out unless they are, are abusive language or something along that lines. But if they find something and they document it and they send us pictures, there's no questions asked. We send them the replacement part or the OE if we're not comfortable, we get the failed part back and we follow up with the group on what we've done with the situation. So that's why I believe people like Tanner, who has recommended me through Jerry, um, through G, uh, Jerry Trulia, um, really have, have seen the difference. Cause again, we, we've really put action to, to our words to address these issues. So to answer the, the second part of your question is, I think it's always been there, but now it's getting a lot more momentum. So we're getting a lot more exposure with this Facebook group. It's only about two and a half, three years old now. Yeah. That, that's, I, I kind of picked up on that. Right. And I thought it was really cool to get in there and kind of see how you guys are responding because I think, you know, when you get on the internet and you start talking to people 
And, and, you know, for instance, the other day, and I, I don't mean to, to hammer on Dorman here, but the other day. No, I, you can't, please. I'm, I'm used to it. And I actually would rather hear it because I can guarantee <laughs> if it's something that sticks in my head or you have enough information, I'm, I'm going to hunt it down tomorrow, but go ahead. No, and, well, and don't feel like you have to, um, qualify, qualify it with that. No, no. It's just that, that, you know, for instance, terminology, right. And somebody said, Hey, that engine company is the, the equivalent of a dormant engine rebuilder. It's like, I wouldn't buy an engine from them. And, and what I mean by that is, is so many times we get in these talking circles, right? And, and they talk about the same things or, or we constantly go around and around, but many people have not had the same experience or they've not truly looked into that experience, right? Now we've all had issues with all different brands, right? And I, it makes me wonder about quality control as a whole not just dormant, you know, I've had Cardone problems. I've had BWD problems. I've had, you know, problems in all different lines when it comes to parts. So I can't just look at one and say it's that. I think dormant kind of got that reputation and it's kind of become a running joke, if you will. I don't know that it's all deserved. One of the really cool things for me though, when I joined that group is I started seeing there were a lot of like kind of cool innovations like the, uh, is it the Explorer real rear wheel hubs mm-hmm. that you don't have to kill yourself to get the bearing out of? Right. Um, I've not used one. I'm not saying I have and and not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying I haven't used one. I don't know about it, you know, if, if it suffers from quality issues or not. Subaru rear uh, wheel assemblies or rear wheel hub assemblies yep. where it's got the backing plate and everything. Yep. You know, that's kind of cool for a technician. And I think that's really thinking ahead because – you know, when we do stuff like that here, what we find is, is, oh man, the technician forgot to order a backing plate and it's trashed. It's rusted out. And oh man, that part's not in there. And that part's not in there. And that part's not in there. And I got to order all these things. And now we have all this time in it. And then the darn thing takes forever to come apart. So those kind of innovative ideas are really neat to me, right? I think that's a really cool concept. Um, and and I I think that like I said in a lot of ways some of these quality concerns aren't warranted, you know, um, it, it's just it's the way of the internet, right? I mean, look at the shops that you see that have all bad reviews. I'm sure they earn some of that, <laughs> but in the same respect, if one person has a problem with the shop, then you look in a Facebook group, and all of a sudden everybody in that town has a problem with that shop because. They did uh, something somebody disagreed with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, it's, it, it's kind of like, in my opinion, the, the reverse of a brag list that I keep and I share with different members of our leadership team. Cause I think sometimes they're not out in the field as much that are exactly the, the same phenomena happens, right? Somebody big out there, one of the big influencers, whether it's Motor City Mechanic, who I have a good relationship with, David Pike, I like him, um, Erico, whoever. Uh, post something and then it's it's just it, it's disheartening i used to take it personally now i don't you know within an, within a day there's 50 comments that are all just you know um uh, it's yeah e- everything from um you know i love dorming because they keep me in business the first shot puts it on and i get to fix the part and all all kinds of slander and i don't know if you've gotten a chance but i make it there, there's a couple um people from our ambassador group on other forums that will tag me and I'll tell you this, I've put a dozen or so feelers out there directly at people, very, very, what I think is um, contrite and 
um, supportive of, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry this happened. Any information you can give me, I know the car's probably long gone. I love to make it right. What can I do? And I tell you, if I even get, I, I don't get anything back. So I, my, my perception is 80% of that is just noise of somebody wanting, wanting to say something based on, again, based on the limited ones I've responded back to that were pretty hateful. And um, I, I literally get either no response back or, man, that car's long going. I'm not dealing with you. All your parts are junk. And there's nothing right. substantial after I've kind of reached out and said, hey, look, I'm really apologetic. That shouldn't have happened. You know, regardless, I'd like to, next time you have your vehicle, um, or there's a vehicle in the shop, you can wait a couple of days for us, send you a free door apart, free of charge to kind of make up for it and even cover the labor if there's any issues um, with it. And again, I, I, I get crickets. So let me ask you this, you know, I, I've not been using dormant parts. I've, I've got to be honest with you, right? I got scared. I had some things happen. And I, you know, I, it's to the point that I don't even remember what they were now. It was years ago. I've not been using dormant parts in years. And so if, if a shop wanted to truly help fix the problem, right? Um, we continue to see that, that, like I said, not just dormant, lots of aftermarket companies have problems. How do we help fix the problem? Right. Because that, that's one of the big things about the podcast is that a lot of times it's easy to get caught in a talking circle where it sounds like we just talk about the problems over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> what, what steps can a shop take? And, you know, we've talked a little bit about documenting things well and providing that documentation. You know, I found that a lot of part stores aren't truly supportive of that. Right. They're busy too. They just want to get the car out of their way or the, the, the client out of their way, if you will. How do we begin to be part of the solution instead of 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 just another number? Yeah, so that's that's definitely the the um, you know million dollar question. Um, I first and foremost, we we always like we always like the conversation to interact with with who you purchased the part from directly, and if there's anything we have to do to educate that customer on even how to do, you know, we always hate talking about labor claims or the defect return process, um, that that would be number one, is to make sure that you, you try at least first with with your customer directly. Um, e even though I always prefer to get the, the part back, that's, that's typically the right way to try to handle it um, in the beginning. Now, if you don't feel like you're getting an answer or they're not willing to help you, that's when I encourage everybody. I mean, I, I'll even put my number out there um, directly on your podcast and people can call or email me directly. You know, some people laughed or scoffed at first, but, um, we're, we're able to, with our team here, we have, you know, six tech tech line specialists in addition to our customer service line. Uh, we'll, we'll do our best to, to address anything that comes our way. So whatever you think would be the best venue to put, whether it's, you know, my contact information out there or our tech line, I mean, I'll, I'll address these issues head on. Like I said, I don't have any sales responsibility or product development. Um, you know, the main focus is new ideas, but I truly believe that this is a big component of winning people over to have them comfortable with providing new ideas. They have to be comfortable with using the product. I mean, the fact that you said here, I mean, I'm sure, I know you're very successful. You don't, you've stopped using our parts altogether and, and you're not, and I'm sure there's others like you. So right. I, I would say direct contact would be the best way. The other thing too, that I would say, Lucas, I don't know how you could get this. I, it, it always amazes me. Um, on how many people don't call the manufacturer until it's their fourth one, you know, right. just, just, just pick up the phone and give us a shout. I mean, like 
yeah, I'm on my fourth one in, in, in two weeks and it hasn't worked yet. So if we can get that message out there, like the first time you see something like that ICP story that you, that you kind of told me, and I'm not picking on you now, I'm just basically saying if there's something definitely wrong, yeah, maybe order the second one. But then from that point forward, like there's got to be something going on with the part, whether they're, they're the date code or the manufacturing or something that we have to look further into. Maybe we have, you know, I've run into many instances where somehow the application information got jacked up and the part will work properly. It's just on, it, it's just showing the wrong vehicle in that customer's catalog system now. Right. So that, that's a really interesting point is that, that, you know, there's a lot of points of contact. You know what I'm saying? There's a, you know, from you all the way through the parts store, through the cataloging system, all the way out to the the shop owner, the the service advisor, the technician. There's a lot of points of contact for that all the way through. So that's a that's a really interesting point. Is that the the problem though, Lucas? And then I'll play the devil's advocate here. Is like who has time to to call? Like nobody has time to call. So we we had a a Honda, a Honda pilot in here um with a a VVT issue um and if you look at the Honda website and you look up the part like they wanted to sell you this monstrosity of a part you know it's like $400 or some garbage like that and and it was just like this one small component of that that solenoid assembly that had failed if we just get this one part well guess who sells it dorman has that part available but (laughs) you know the technician's like you really want me to install this and i'm like let's see if it works well guess what the thing didn't work out the box we had a problem with it it didn't it technically fixed the problem we were having but then created a different issue that we didn't have there before and we, you know, then the, the technician has to do the, the diag and he digs into it and he's like, this thing is not working properly. This part of it here, and I, I'm being very vague because I don't remember the exact details, but here, here's the thing. So let's, let's assume that everything that, that we want to help the situation say, okay, well, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not trying to sound like an a-hole here, but like, there's no incentive for me to send the part back to Dorman. Like, I don't care. I'm just going to chuck the part or send it back to the to the uh, the parts store and say, hey, this part's junk, and, and then go chase an OE because I got to get the car fixed. Like the customer just wants their car back. But let's say that they that I, I set it aside and I do have time to then call and say, hey, this we had to install it, caused a different problem than what we had originally. Can I send it back to you? Where's the incentive? Like nobody's going to want to do that. There, there's other other than the the people that are quote unquote ambassadors right and i have no idea how the program works but i'm just saying other than those guys who are in some way being incentivized even if it's through social media clout or support of their channels or, or youtube channels or whatever right there's no incentive to the average everyday shop owner to send that part back and say well i really want dorman to make a better product like they're just going to go find some other manufacturer that will 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 uh, sell them a part that isn't going to fail out the uh, out of the box, or has a lower chance, or even if it's not even that, it's just a matter of confidence, right? So, I mean, how do you cross that bridge first, right? So we we have to cross that bridge. You have to say, well, this 
we can come up with a program and this, that, and the other. Doesn't it really come down to the, to the, the parts vendor? Isn't that like your, shouldn't that be your main focal point? I'm going to talk to the parts vendor. I want to say, Hey, everything has to be separated out. Especially if it's coming from an installer, especially if it's coming from a good installer, because there were plenty of shops back in my day that had extremely high warranty percentages. And you knew that they were just, they were part swappers. Like they had no idea what they were doing. They weren't installing the parts properly. They would just throw parts at it until it worked. I'm not talking about those shops. I'm talking about the shops that just, they don't, they have a really low warranty percentage, but they do send back, you know, part X, Y, Z for whatever reason, maybe set them back and then they go back to dormant. Like, I mean, is that just something that you guys negotiate up front? And, uh, and that's why they just don't get them back. Like the parts, I knew the parts where I had to eat a certain percentage of them. You guys just kind of negotiated that in the, in, into the price or the deal. Right. I, I would say for the most part that we do get a lot on the traditional side, we do get a lot of the defective, you know, the uh, defective parts back, at least enough for us to do at least to have the, the part number or the skew information. Um, I, I think the challenge though is not having that story all the time and not being able to try every part on a vehicle because we don't know like that issue that you said with the Honda Pilot would be one that uh, unless we knew any difference I assume you're that if it's that separate solenoid where you don't have to buy the whole the whole you know variable yeah. valve timing VTEC assembly or the or the solenoid mm-hmm. um, that's one you know w- without a little bit of that backstory but you brought up something interesting about the uh, incentivizing I never really thought of and then and then mentioning our our customers, you know, your suppliers, if we could somehow, because if you think about a really good salesperson, when we do field work with them, they're calling us because they know we want to know, or even just a good salesperson in general. And I'm not saying that there's there's a ton of bad salespeople out there, but I feel like the good ones follow through and let the manufacturers know when they have an issue where it really it really hurts one of their, like you said, they know who their, who their top shops are, the good shops that are diagnosing, they really know there's an issue with the part. So I, I think getting some kind of program. You need to put some pressure on these parts vendors. To make these it. Part, these parts yep. stores are, are taking these salespeople off the street. They're pulling oh, wow. them out and they're sending out kids. Hmm. This has been a, like a constant issue. I was in a parts store like it's been 10 years, right? And not here in the current market that I'm in, but the market I was in before, I had a professional. The guy, I mean, the guy hustled. He was doing 25 calls a day and he would go out. And if there was a problem, he would bring it immediately back to you because that was his customer just as much as, as it was your customer. He got a chunk, a chunk of his store sales as a commission check. He wanted to make sure that the store was growing. And he especially took care of the stores that uh, were, were growing and that took care of their customers. So he didn't have to do nothing but, but listen to complaints the entire day. And so he was a professional. I think he's retired at this point. You don't see those guys out on the field anymore. Instead you have, at, at least from the big box stores, you're sending kids out or they're sending somebody out. That's like upper level management that has 85,000 other responsibilities and they don't have a dedicated sales crew. And you might see them once a year. Hey, I really, we rolled out these new alternators and we'll pay for the tow and hundred percent labor plus another $50 for your trouble and this, that, and the other. It's like, great. That's great that you're incentivizing me using this, but I don't want the part to fail. 
Like, I really don't want the part to fail. I don't care that you're going to pay me labor again at 100% right. of my labor rate. Right. And I don't care that you're going to pay for the tow. Like, I just don't want the part to fail. I got to have so confidence in what I'm doing. What's that? Because it's so embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's like, horrible. so part of, part of the value proposition that we put forth as shop owners yeah. is part selection. I should know as a professional, having installing hundreds of thousands of dollars in parts every single uh, year, I should know what p- fails and what doesn't fail. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be the hacky shop up the street that's just going to install whatever's cheap and available. That's not what I do. And those shops are fine. They don't care that the part fails. The car just comes back for another trip and they'll sell some more off that car. That's not how we approach the vehicle. And maybe we're in the minority. I have no idea. I hope not. But we take the approach that we're the professionals. We're going to recommend a certain level of part that we have confidence in because we're putting a very, we're putting our name on it. We're putting a long warranty on it. And we don't want the part to fail. And so our approach is I want that part to last as long as the original one did. If I install that, whatever, I know that that part will last as long as the original one did. And so a lot of parts stores, you know, it's almost, um, you know, it's almost a, a sense of elitism. It's like, Oh, I only install OE. Well, why is that? So it's, I want to make sure that the part doesn't fail. If it, the original one lasted 150,000, I want the new one to last 150,000. I love the philosophy. I don't think that OE is necessarily the, the, the case and you being an ideation. I almost wonder like it is the push so much. You need to repeat what you just said. You cut out. Did I really? Yeah. I was on a roll. What do you want me to do? I can't pick back up. I'm screwed. I, I, I almost wonder you being an ideation. I wonder like, is the emphasis and I know you have to like, we're here beating you up and you have to answer for Dorman, but uh, (laughs) I wonder if the, if the, if the, is the emphasis first to market. And that's always been the emphasis first to market with, you know, what do you guys call them? OE solutions, right? Only available from the dealer, no longer available from the dealer. But I mean, realistically, I mean, I just want you to, to look at it from my from my point of view, from the from the shop that takes the mentality that it, once it's fixed, it's done, and they take pride in that. It's important. It's it, it's not about the profit. It's not about the dollar in the bank account. It's the I fix that. It's never coming back with that same problem for the next yeah. hundred fifty thousand miles. You would not believe the percentage of shops that take that approach. To, to repairs, it, they'd rather lose money than lose clout. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes total sense. And I was on a separate, more informal conversation with Tex, and I and I get it, and I always try to em- empathize with you, and that's why you know it, it, it's funny because the same story you tell is a story that I kind of tell. Like, look that that technician's customer doesn't know a thing about it's a dormant part, it's a Cardone, it's a BWD. All they know is that original part was on that car for 15 years. Now, David and Lucas installed this aftermarket part or whatever part. They half the way know what aftermarket means. They installed this yeah. part, and four months later, they have the same problem again. So that that's a huge issue, and 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 that's and that's was a big impetus for the Facebook page for us trying to get failed parts back, um, for us to make sure that that doesn't happen, that the part does you know meet or exceed um, that that technicians and then your customer's expectations. Cause again, the customer's going to blame it on you. 
you, you you can't sit there and say, oh, it was that cheap Dorman part. It was the cheap BWD part. They're 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 not going to buy that because they don't understand. I'm not saying all of them don't, but many of them don't understand that. They just think that you didn't fix their car properly. So I I totally get what you're saying. It is a sense. I've been kicked out of. I'm I'm not proud of it, but I've been kicked out of many shops. Some of them I've converted over um, to be you know ambassadors, and some of them are are kind of the same way. They just said, look, I've had I've had some challenges and. It's not worth you know wasting my time. It's not just dormant. It's other aftermarket companies where they've spent sure. a lot of time and got, and got burned on it. So I, I totally get it. And I'm, um, you know, the question that you that Lucas posed earlier, you know, what do we do about it? And your idea about incentives, I like all that. To me, there's no there's no either or approach. We really have to, you know, attack it at all levels. Whether it's with with our direct customers to get better at getting the defective parts back, with the technicians to to try to make it easier for you to, to give us that information, you know, whatever it takes, because it, it is important. And, and the reality is, is you have to, OEs are going to continue, in my opinion, to make it more and more challenging for you to fix these vehicles as they become more and more complex. So we have to have strong aftermarket suppliers that can, that can, um, you know, meet, meet the demands of, of, you know, t- tomorrow's type or next generation parts on these vehicles. I, again, playing devil's advocate though here, what, why the shift? Because you guys, I mean, you guys are a huge company and you guys have been doing just fine, you know, selling the way you've been selling and doing the things the way, the way you guys, and a lot of times you're the only one that sells the part other than going to OE. And sometimes OE's like, Hey, you got to buy this entire assembly. You got to buy half the car, half the car uh, needs to be purchased in order for you to fix this screw. This one screw's missing and you, you got to buy half the car. You're like, well, I, I could do that, or I can install this Dorman OE right. solution kit there that replaces the one screw, and I'm done. I think we like when why why shift to like all of a sudden uh, we got we got to be high quality as well. Um, it, it, it's interesting you said that, and I and I and I love love the devil's advocate, David. Um, I don't I, like earlier when we talked about. I, I don't think it's a shift. I think it's always been a mindset, and it's always been iterative, and we know we have to get continually better. Um, because there's, there's definitely, you know, th- there has to be a level of quality when you open up that part you mentioned earlier, can't, you know, f- it can't be dead, uh, defective out of the box. Um, and I, I think what, what a lot of, a lot perceive as a shift is just something where we're being more vocal about it. We have grown that grown those departments and we have extra bandwidth now to, 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 to focus on it over the years. I mean, when I started with Dorman, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'll, you say that in two, in early 2000, you know, a lot of us was, we, we were very new at this. We were, we were very much a sourcing company that tried to apply quality control to off the shelf parts. There's been a complete shift now where we're getting the ideas, we're doing the tool, we're doing, we're, we're really a design and tooling firm that also has some uh, manufacturing around complex electronics. So with those capabilities, I mean, we've, 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 We've expanded our quality control and engineering departments 20, 30 fold from, from what it was uh, 17 years ago when I started. So I, I think that's, that's what people perceive as a shift. It's a mindset that you're seeing that has a lot more momentum because of social and because of how we've grown as an organization. And a lot of those individuals haven't really seen any of that. It's kind of like, you know, the, it, it's just something they haven't seen. So that's why we've invited many technician groups, even individuals out to visit our facility to understand our development process. We've, I don't know if you're familiar with manufacturing APQP, very similar to what 
um, OEMs do when you when you specify when you're developing a part, um, you 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 have to essentially follow all the steps from getting that part, making sure that you understand what the material is, what the dimensions, how the material is used, all the functions of the parts before you even start development. Um, and then the cool thing about what we do extra is we take the technician feedback on like what you said, whether it's, um, hey, replace the piece, not the assembly, or by the way, this thing always fails because it's plastic. I mean, we've had tremendous success and very low defect rate. You know, no one talks about the lines where you don't have challenges with um, the, the categories that is like our, our heater hoses where we've upgraded the plastic to aluminum, um, th- you know, things of that nature, or the whole entire thermostat housings that we've converted from from plastic to aluminum as well. So. Uh, that, that's I, pretty I, cool. I think that answered your question, but I, I know I went off in a little no, that t- t- tangent. No, no, there. no, that that does answer my question. No, I'm uh, I'm happy with that answer, actually. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't so realize I, I actually that you had those use, conversions. What's that? I didn't even realize. I guess I've just stopped looking at the Dorman part of the parts book. I I didn't know they had those conversions. I probably would have no, tried. You're them. installing Dorman parts. You don't even realize that half the time. I I do use Dorman part. I I mean that's that's um that, well that's what i was talking about lucas like uh, most of your brake hardware from most of your parts stores are dormant it's yeah, dormant and I, like, I, listen and i'm okay with, with that brake hoses right? I, I, and wheel cylinders and you know I, where are you getting lug nuts if you're not installing dormant lug nuts everybody sells dormant lug nuts yeah there's no you, other option out there um, oh you, you you bought up lug nuts you know so again i'm not I, i'm I, you guys are beating me up so i'm just trying to give it back to you. I mean, we, we, we essentially corrected Ford and Chrysler's huge problem. Our best selling lug nuts now are the ones that aesthetically look just like their two piece design, um, at this, at, at, at a lesser cost or the big issue. I'm sure you've run into it. Your technicians where that aesthetic stainless steel cover just spins and spins and spins. And you have yep. to fight with all 20, 25 lugs to pull them off. And that's one of our, one of our best selves just running some reports now, um, on those. And we're doing very well with them. We have probably several dozen now we've converted over to one piece and but looking at it, you, you, you couldn't even tell the difference. Yeah. Dorman is not on my 100% do not fly list. Okay. There's definitely some Dorman things we buy. I don't buy like electronics and things like that. There's only one company on my do not buy list. You know who it is? No, flight I don't. diesel. Who is it? Flight diesel. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, they, uh, years ago and, and, and I, I say that jokingly, I, I don't really mean it. Years ago, I went through five turbo turbochargers on a 6.7 liter Cummins because they were the only ones on market with this turbocharger. I went through five of them and they finally said, listen, we got to be honest with you. We don't know how to fix it. And we know the turbo is bad. It doesn't work. We put it on a truck here and it still doesn't work, but we don't know what to tell you to do. I guess you're going to the dealer. Great. They don't have one either. Thanks. I, I guess that that ends up being uh, the issue with with uh, with Dorman, and not just Dorman. I mean, uh, again, it, it's it's a little bit of everybody, dude. I'm on my third purge valve for a Hyundai because the OE is like two to three days out. I can't get my, my hands on it. And this, and by the time it, for a year. by the time you go through it, you could have had an OE purge valve anyway. I know I should just order one and keep it in stock. But here's the thing, like I'm, and I, it, I'm not installing the Dorman ones. I don't want, I, I'm not, not uh, trying to pick on you, Lester. It's somebody, it's another brand that are readily available here locally. And everybody sells. And we installed 
the big box store brand, private label. No idea who makes it for them. Well, maybe I do. Anyway, that thing failed within a few months. She comes back in. We install an, uh, an aftermarket one. And I'm like, well, this is the good one, right? No, another year later, same thing, same situation. You know, again, test it. The stupid purge valve isn't sealing properly. It loses its seal after some time. It throws a coat. I don't know. You get so frustrated with some of this stuff. And the lady's understanding, but sometimes some of these components, you just don't, you almost just don't want to take the chance. Even the part could be fine and it may last 10 years without any problems, but you're almost hesitant to, to pull the trigger. So let's say you even, you, you find out that, yeah, we can figure out a way to, to get these stores to send us back the story with the part so we can actually dig into it and figure out what's going on. You come up with some program or whatever, and you're getting all these parts in and you, you ramp up the quality, very specific components, because like, just like you're saying, like if I have a, a failed rear axle on a pickup truck, like I'm installing a dorming unit, uh, sometimes drive shafts. We just did a drive shaft on a Nissan pathfinder. It was either OE or dormant. Nobody else makes them right. So, or I got to go to a local rebuilder or whatever, right? And this thing was trash. So we put a Norman unit in. It works fine. No problems. Uh, backing plates, just the components like that. Like you were saying, uh, the oil filter caps that are plastic, you replace them with aluminum units that, that don't snap in half. Other than that, you're, you have very specific components that there's some hesitancy from the shop to use. Yeah. But David, and, is that, uh, sorry, sorry for my thought, but. Is that hesitancy, it seems to be, and I don't know if people just tell me this that are advocates of Dorman, but it seems to me across the industry, it doesn't matter what the brand is. If it's aftermarket, there's an overall hesitancy for anything yeah. that's 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 um, electronic Absolutely. related or purge yeah. valve where you're going to go down. Okay. All right. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's my point is it's not, it's not, uh, it's not specific to Dorman per se. I, I remember way back when fuel pumps oh it, it was a brand I, uh I, of fuel uh, pump started with an a air with an x <laughs> yes yeah. what sorry you I, call them out. i'm i'm sorry i just i i worked on the counter 10 years before i'm not yeah I, oh ahead. man we, we had everybody sold that brand yeah everybody sold bucks that for brand pumps or pump, bucks for pumps isn't yeah we had, we had all kinds of counter people spiffed with it and everything else we actually did okay with it honestly but as, as a I worked for um, Eastern Auto Parts, a local WD here, and they only had five locations. And we, uh, you know, I, I, I know that we actually went up hiring the rep um, here as a sales rep. I, I, I knew him for years, and he, he, he always did right by us. And we, you know, we, we, we carried their, we carried their pumps for quite some time. Yeah, well, I, I sold a ton of AirTex pumps. <laughs> this was like back in the day. And oh man, just problem after problem. And that you would, the, our upper management was telling us, we're talking to the vendor. We're trying to work something out. They know they have a problem and you know, they came and he, <laughs> this is how stupid it is. And I think it's, it's not stupid. It's, it seems out of touch. They were so proud of their packaging. Like they won awards for their packaging, the way they wrapped their pumps. Screw the quality. We, uh, we are now able to put this in a smaller box and take up less room on your shelf and 
and deliver a more secure unit because of our awesome packaging. That's what they were spending the R&D money. I guess. I don't know. I'm speculating. I don't, I don't know. But we had huge warranty rates on AirTex pumps. That's what everybody sold. And I'm talking like DIY and do it for me. It was awful. That, just that translated to everybody. So it doesn't matter if you bought a Delphi pump, a Bosch pump, who, who, whoever's pump you were installing, you were hesitant to put in there. And you were like, uh, I don't know. Is this thing going to last? Is it not going to last? Is it going to be like AirTex? Now, AirTex apparently like fixed their issue and stuff like that. But I think they like they soured everybody on aftermarket fuel pumps. And so now you've got some electronic components on a vehicle that, I don't know, like you're, you're hesitant to use them to even try it out. It doesn't matter whose brand. Because you've been burned in the past by you know, XYZ brand who didn't give a crap. They just wanted to be first to market or whatever. Like they cut a deal and they sold every part store out there on their, on their product. And the product was garbage. Maybe 70% of them were fine, but 30% of them were going back, which is huge. Right. And so and how do you cross that bridge now? How do you go? Well, we're putting a ton of money into R and D into our engineering department, into our quality control department. But just like you were saying, you're also putting out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brand new SKUs. And you're first to market a lot of times with these SKUs. You see the disconnect there? It's like, it's like no, okay, I'm- that's great that you're the first to market with these 75 new SKUs that nobody else has but you. No, I, but- <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I definitely get it. But I, I, I think with that said, it, it comes back to communication. And I, I really understand what you're saying as, you know, when does a tech or where does a tech have time or when to provide us that information? But I think we do need a little bit more feedback to be able to close the loop because I think the SKUs, I, I think people often conflate the first to market with, we don't care about the quality when that's not the truth. We're not going to keep going or try to come out with those parts at, at, a, at a poor level of quality, the right level of of, of quality, in my opinion, is there for these new parts. And trust me, we're hungry and waiting to hear about the parts people have issues with. But that's definitely a common, in my opinion, on bias, obviously, a misnomer that, hey, they're just worried about, you know, um, their revenue coming out with new parts and they don't care about the quality when in, in all reality, those new products coming out with are going through the most, uh, you know, uh, a much more advanced quality process than we ever had. And we're also hungry and have bandwidth to address any issues that we're hearing from the field. And that's why it's interesting what you said and also intriguing to me. And how do we do more things like the Facebook ambassador page, um, like working with our supply, with our customers to get, to get more of those parts back, you know, to make it easy for a technician in the shop to take a quick picture and post it somewhere or to provide some details so we can fix it. So I've got a question, you know, he brings up electronic components. And that, that's something that we all see. What are you seeing as the primary cause of those failures, right? Because we we all hear that there's got to be a problem. Um, and I'm sure in a lot of ways, maybe it's not as bad as we envision it. Because like he said, we've all kind of shied away from using them. Mm-hmm. Is, is there specific things that you're seeing that are causing these problems or were causing these problems? Uh, I'm, I'm not as close to it. Um, I, I would have to say that, you know, every... If, you know, every manufacturer 
automotive manufacturer uses some degree of sourcing things off the shelf and those parts still have to be to go through some type of quality control. So I, I'm not sure exactly. I can't speak to other manufacturers where the disconnect is. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, you know, you know, even before we started doing a lot of our own electronics manufacturing manufacturers, we just wouldn't approve. So again, I'm not trying to call anybody out. Don't know if their tolerances or, or what their process is, where they're just missing obvious things like that. Um, and, and now they're getting out into the market. Uh, but that would be something that I'd have to you know, better understand like, or, or, or have um, better insight into because I'm, I'm not really sure what, what's driving that um, 100%. Right. Very cool. Very cool. I, I had a quick question. It was a good yeah. segue for what David was talking about. So what – Dorman being an aftermarket supplier, what do we have to do um, – to get technicians comfortable using products in the aftermarket, like electronics that you, that you don't have any faith in or, or where you've been burned before to get your confidence back to use that, to use that product. Cause our analysis shows, you know, the more, the more labor involved and the higher price tag, the less, the less likely um, a lot of technicians are to use anything aftermarket because they're thinking about comebacks, the part not working right, the labor time um, and even right. the cost of the part. You know, yeah, you take something like VVT phasers. Yeah. Something that, that can cause engine damage, not, too. Yeah, that sucker is not going to be aftermarket unless yeah. I absolutely have no other choice. Yeah. I, to answer your question, I, I think if it were me, right, the things that I think about that, that might change my thought process is, is kind of what we've talked about in the podcast, right? is you guys being open and willing to listen to our concerns. The recognition that, hey, there have been concerns, right? That that there have been some things that have happened and I don't know how to do, right? I'm not a marketing guru. David's the marketing guru. Um, but the recognition that there have not always been 100% wins from the, the brand line and really just kind of reaching out and acknowledging that and saying, hey, we're working on this. We have a system, right? There's a way we work on this. And we also, you know, and, and I don't know that techs and I don't know that that a lot of people are seeing there's other products. You know, for a while I was getting a little dormant flyer and I kept thinking, wow, that's kind of cool. Wow, that's kind of neat. I didn't know they offered that. I didn't know they offered that. And it was things that I would feel comfortable using. We don't get that anymore. Um, so I, I think that, that a lot of it comes down to marketing folks, knowing that you've got new products on the line and folks knowing that you're willing to listen folks, knowing that, that, Hey, we're not just out here trying to take your money. We really do want to provide a good quality product and we need your help to do that. I think that's important. The fact that you're willing to listen, because, you know, one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is that. As shop owners, sometimes we feel like we're on our own little island and nobody else is going through the problems that we are. And and it, even when it comes back to parts, we kind of look at it and say, well, they don't care. They're a big company. They don't care. And sometimes the part store will make an owner or an advisor feel that way, right? Because they're not truly interested in taking care of it. They're just like, here's another part. Here's another part. Here's another part. Listen, this is your text. Your texts are idiots. Here, you know, Here's another part. Here's another part. I'll sell you as many as you want. Here's another part. And so it leads to everybody being frustrated 
but it also leads to this concept or this feeling that nobody's actually listening to me. Does that make sense? In other words, Dorman's not listening to me because they're not even hearing me. And and shop owners probably don't understand that. And not only is Dorman not listening to me, but the part store's not listening to me because they're just throwing parts at me and telling me that this couldn't be it. At some point, there's got to be a little bit better communication. And David's right. It's really hard to do that. When you are extremely busy and you're trying to get work through the shop and things are going wrong, the last thing I'm thinking about is how in the world am I going to tell you what's going on with this part, right? I'm thinking about, i got to get this car out. This person's going to be so mad at me and this is so embarrassing and it's broke. And, you know, that's not where my thought process is. So I think it, it comes back to alerting others to a, a system or, or what your process is in the event something like that happens. So at least they feel like they're, they're being hurt. Does that make sense? No, it, ma- it makes total sense. And I, the, the only thing that I'll just get, or not the only thing, the comment I'll make back to that is, you know, people like yourself and David and many others like you, I respect because you, you're, you're, you're running a business. And like you said, you, you're, you're embarrassed. You just want to get the, the part fixed it didn't function right. The customer doesn't know it was, it was the part that was the problem. But what always amazes me are the people out there. And I've, and I've, you know, I've reached out to some that we've converted over and many we haven't that spend hours and hours building their social clout and complaining about the part with, with no intention of reaching out to us or letting us know when I reach out to them. So the, the flip side of that is I just, it just amazes me how much time these people spend and maybe because they're making money off it and that's great. And I, I wish them all the best. But they, you, you'll see them like really find pictures and memes and post things and do all this stuff. It's like, man, they can't just spend five or 10 minutes and call our tech line after we left them the information to give us the feedback. And that just gets really disheartening. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I think the thing I will say to those listening that might be doing that is imagine if the same was happening to your business. Right. And I, you know. I, I have been a complainer before I, I've been around David so long. Now I kind of see the, <laughs> the benefit of not being a complainer. People look at you like you're all weird and stuff. Maybe that's another reason they look at him like it's that. Fun but, to complain. <laughs> but you know, in all seriousness, I, I think it's really easy to become desensitized to that because, you know, we're not really talking about anybody and, and maybe social media plays a part in that because we're not really talking about someone we're just talking about a brand name. We're just talking about a part. Yeah, We're just talking about a corporation. What do yeah. you care, right? Um, and, and I think the more that we've done the podcast and the more folks we've met, the realization that most of these companies really do care about their clients and they really do want to produce a really good product. Um, I think it's easy to lose sight of that because it's a big company and they're just up here and, and you know, you don't get paid for, for changing a part. And the parts store denies your warranty claim or they give you, you know, 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour to change that part that took you four hours to change. And, you know, all the frustration, all the things that go with it. And then it just kind of becomes a snowball. Does that make sense? No, it does. I, yep. Definitely makes sense. I, um, I always, you know, you've heard it time and time again, but seek first to understand, slow down a little bit, understand what you're talking about, understand what's going on. And you don't always have to start with the most aggressive, mad response, you know, communicate a little bit. 
Um, so I, I think that's what I would say to anybody who's unhappy with Dorman. Communicate a little bit and let's see if things, you know, if maybe we can get a different understanding. You know who I blame? Who? The parts stores. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I blame these flipping parts stores. That's Why all. do you blame the parts stores? Because I can. I th- you said I can complain. I'm going to complain. It's a flipping parts stores. I, I'm just telling you, like, look, I got out of the parts game for several reasons, but man, you know, if, if somebody wants to front a couple mil, <laughs> there are several warehouses available here in Kansas city and a very, very simple, simple business strategy will absolutely own the Kansas city market, carry a few lines, nothing crazy, lots of delivery drivers, good inventory, the prices don't even have to be that crazy and and that's it like it, it's the these parts stores have become they're chasing earnings and that's it and that's that's it it's it's the the quality is is degraded the quality of the help in the stores is degraded the communication with the vendors look when i first started there was a really 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 good relationship between some of the local uh distributors or the the vendors and and the upper management you could see there was a connection there you would go to conferences and you could have a conversation with these vendors and they would get in contact with your with the upper management and all of a sudden you would see change happen from feedback that you gave at the store level you would see something happen and and it would you know it would get across the entire company Give and faith in humanity. And well, not, not, it would motivate you to make things better. You wanted to give feedback and it's like, Hey, this is what I'm hearing from my customers. And you could take that back to the customer and say, look, look at these changes that have been made. And, and one of the examples, and, and it wasn't initiated from the store level. Maybe it was, I don't know, but it was the window regulator thing, but you could at least go out with confidence and talk to your talk to your your customers and say hey try this out this is a big deal but I, I don't know as as the stores started chasing expansion and earnings and we got to push the price stock higher and that's what it became all about and they started putting less talented and less committed people in the stores and all of a sudden nobody gives two flips all of a sudden it's just warranty it out throw it in the box or throw it out and that's it. Nobody like the, the, the give a crap, like left the building and David, it, that I, was it. I would encourage you. I assume both you and Lucas are, Lucas are very successful and your first call. Lucas, I don't know about yeah, me. Yeah, oh, okay. So, sorry. So I, I would think dealing with all of our customers, um, that there is somebody there that, that definitely cares about what you just said. And they would be, they would be want to, be included in the conversation. And, and although, you know, what you're, I, I can't speak directly to what you're saying is that if you, if you engage or get the right person involved, I go out in the field pre COVID and, and now finally, at least once a month in different areas, whether it's a um, hundred miles outside of our Colmar office here near Philadelphia, where I was in Louisiana a month ago, visiting customers. And I don't know if they, I just get lucky all the time, but I wind up going out with 
a salesperson who, 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 who has great work ethic, who has great relationship with the customers. Um, that always Trust follow- me, they're not, they're not putting you with their B team. Okay. All right. But, but I, I would, get the B team walking into my shop. Let me but, tell you, but, I get but the B team, but I would the, think, uh, I don't care. Uh, like, <laughs> come on. The but, slack jaw yokel, the, that's a the, shame. the I, mouth breather, the, I, the wall I, liquor. I would encourage you to do some, the wall liquor, man. <laughs> so I, I, I think Lucas said it earlier, David, to kind of, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you're selling, like reach out to, I, I'm sure there's somebody there that cares about the money you're spending with them or not even the money, the relationship you have. No, my, that, my money went to the local, the local distributor. The, the jobber, like I, I stopped dealing with these big retail outlets, but you know, they're, they're a huge customer for you guys, but it almost comes down to you guys pressuring them and saying, look, it, it's great, but we're not getting what we need from you guys to make sure that we are putting out the best quality product we can. And our reputation is getting tarnished because the information is not getting to us from these stores it's because they're putting very they're putting cheap labor in these stores they could care less they'll spend bajillion dollars on their point of sale system to crutch to, to essentially be a crutch for the the minimum wage goofball that they stick behind the counter to be a quote-unquote part specialist it, it's ridiculous and so that my money here at my store goes to the 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 local jobber that gives a crap and i'm i pay i mean sometimes i pay more i I don't care what i pay it doesn't matter like my end customer ends up paying the price anyway so it is the price is what it is i'm more concerned with the support from the store because it does have to be a symbiotic relationship and i'm telling you right now like we've had discussions on the the facebook forums with these shop owners there was one shop owner who just I mean, he was adamant about this. It's like, I buy everything online and I, I want the best price. And I don't, I know I'm choosing the part myself. I'm getting the right part because I'm picking it myself. So I know it's the correct part and I don't have to deal with these goons and I could care less. You know, the part doesn't fail because I'm choosing the part and I'm selling it correctly, blah, blah, blah. But he's buying everything online. And it was just a, it was the most cynical attitude towards the relationship between the parts store and the, and the installer. And it was unfortunate, but I can see why that person got to that point because after the, uh, I don't know when the part's going to be here. I don't know when the part's going to get there. I don't know what's going on with that. Let me send you another one. No, 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 no. I don't want you to send me the third failed component, the third, you know, perch valve. I want you to figure out with me what the hell's happening here. Is are you sending these back to the manufacturer? Are you at least communicating with them that we're having an issue? My warranty percentage is almost nil. So the fact that I'm sending you back the third one should be a red flag. Why are we not having a conversation about this? Because I don't want any more junk parts from you. And if the parts store doesn't take the attitude that yeah, this is a problem because this is this is important that we that we maintain the relationship here because you are buying tens of thousands of dollars of parts from me a month. It's important that you're happy and that you have confidence in what I'm selling. And it's important that I'm selling a quality product. And therefore it's important that I'm communicating with the vendor. There has to be a line of communication there. And that, that has disappeared from what I can tell. 
uh, other than the, the like super local guys. Yeah. Like, I buy most of my stuff from factory motor parts. I say that all the time. And the reason being that I see my sales guy on the regular, he's a professional sales guy. He doesn't sell parts and also does the selling. No, no. He's a territory sales guy. He goes out and he calls on shops. I can text them right now and say, Hey, order this for me. And he'll take care of it in the morning. And it's only weird stuff, right? Other otherwise we'll call into the call center or we'll order it online. But I'm talking like they were pushing the, the, uh, splash concentrate. They've got this really neat setup where they'll, they'll hook it into the concentrate and then you can adjust it to see how much of a concentrate you need to have. And you hook it into your water spigot and it puts out your washer fluid. It's fantastic. Fantastic idea. They just released it. So I bought one. That's the kind of thing I'll text for that kind of relationship. I don't, you cannot get that with the retail stores. Doesn't exist. And my complaint in that, and what, what has, what has been lost in all that is that line of communication. There's no longer from, from my standpoint, at least from my perspective, I should say, um, there's no longer that line of communication from installer to part store to, to manufacturer. Like there seems to be a disconnect there and it's great that you're going out with some of these retailers, but they're putting you with the A crew and ask them to send you out with some of your more problematic stores. <laughs> well, they won't. <laughs> it looks like we, we, we have, we have some work to do and you guys have given me some, some great feedback to work, work more w- with our partners to make sure that we're able to communicate better both ways. Right. Like when we have, like you gave the example of the window regulators and make sure that messaging is getting out to you. And then on the flip side of that, when something happens, it's gotta be easy. Like you said, they should, they should take notice when you're, shop that has very low warranty rate and all of a sudden you're urging them and saying, look, there is an issue with this part. Um, because quite honestly, you, you're, you're a rare breed. What I mean by that is a lot of shops that don't just don't want to take the time to even go that extent when they know that there's something wrong with a part to let the manufacturer know they, they, they have a business to run. So we, we have to get better at listening to you. That's the bottom line. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax-deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you never miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. 
Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.